Hello, I'm Stephen, this is Mick, and today's topic is to be determined. I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment, but first, we just want to say that this is only a discussion. There are no right or wrong answers. These are just our thoughts and opinions, which can and will change. Neither of us are experts on anything. We are just two dudes talking. So Mick, we're trying something a little bit different today. Uh, Instead of coming with a prepared topic that we both know about that we'll both think about maybe before the show we've decided to come with okay we've each got like a question or a topic that we want to discuss and the other person doesn't know what that is so we we're going to flip a coin but i just allowed you to go first graciously i think uh mick what what is it that you want to talk about today yeah i'll pass over to you thanks thanks for the baton um so I guess I want to make a statement first and then um, whether you agree or disagree with it, it's going to open up the discussion. Um, but if you agree with it, we can go. There's a couple more sort of questions that I think would be interesting. So the first uh, sort of statement I'm going to make is, do you think that um, humans as a collective inherently are better when they have a leader? Mm, that's an interesting question. Can you repeat that? Okay, so do you think humans as a collective work better with a leader? It depends. Okay. <laughs> I can't just give you a straight yes, no answer. I think it depends on is is the collective trying to achieve something in particular? Every single member of the collective has agreed that this is something that we or that I want to achieve as part of this group. Okay, so yeah, I think um, let's split out self-autonomy. So you still obviously have the ability to be some somewhat self, uh, uh, have some self-autonomy, but in general, okay, maybe I flip the question around. Do you think humans um, can live their whole life without any leadership being present as a collective? Not as an individual, but as a collective. As a collective. Hmm. That's a tough one. I mean, because we really only, or at least from my perspective or what I know, only have examples of us having a leader as a collective. So I I couldn't say, given examples, but I do think that it is possible. Again, depends what your what your aim is, what you're trying to achieive. Because I think in, in, in order for you to even become a collective, there has to be something uh, similar about all of, all of the members and something that they all agree that, okay, this is what we're trying to do. Okay, so maybe is, is it inherent? Considering you said that it was hard to come with any examples, is it an inherent, uh, is it inherent characteristics of humans as collectives? to to have some form of leadership yeah it seems to be i wonder if it isn't necessarily that throughout your entire life there is necessity for a leadership or that you have this inherent want of someone to be a leader for example with myself definitely when i was younger there would always be people that i look to to okay suggest how to act or to give me ideas about how to do things but then as I got older and I started to realize that a lot of what I was doing was based off of what other people were telling me instead of 
what I necessarily wanted to do myself. Not that I had any idea what that was at the time, but I kind of transitioned from, okay, I want someone to help me, to guide me, to lead me to, okay, now when other people lead me, it kind of gets in the way because I have enough experience and understanding of what I want. It kind of gets in the way of that sometimes because other others don't have as much understanding of myself and same for everyone else. Like no other Nobody except ourselves has as much information about ourselves. <laughs> that sounds weird the way I said it, but the the whole idea is that I've got enough skills and experience now that I'm not uh, worried that I will be unable to come to a satisfactory answer or conclusion to whatever problem I'm trying to solve. That now, if there is someone else that is leading or trying to direct, that kind of stifles my own ability to think. Like I'm more okay. Someone else says it. I generally put a higher importance on what other people say regardless of if they have as much understanding of the situation or whatever it is as i do so now that kind of impedes my own ability to think and to solve and to decide what is best for myself or for a collective yeah so a lot of that i felt was more about the individual so what i mean by that is okay let's say we have to share a dam is leadership important in order to share a a common resource well, you've, yeah, you've skipped past the part that I'm interested in. Okay, we've agreed that we have to collectively share this now. That, that, I guess, okay, let's, let's, let's say then, yes, okay, this is something we want to do. Like, I won't even bother thinking about, do we want to do this? Is it then better to have a leader to, to do that? <sighs> yeah. Possibly. Possibly it's more effective to have someone to organize it because you will be operating on different levels. Like there will be people doing the actual grunt work, if you want to call it that, and then people thinking about how to plan everything out. Maybe then, yes, it would be better in terms of uh, structuring an organization to have a leader. So, yeah, so in some circumstances when it's for... So in a collective sense, is there any situation in a collective sense that you can think that can be void of a leader and get about a better outcome uh, um, uh, than having a leader there again i think it really is dependent on what you're trying to achieve if you have a specific clearly defined objective possibly it's better to have a leader than but if it's something where, okay, we don't necessarily know what the right answer is, then it might be better to be have a little bit more uh, autonomy amongst individuals. So can humans live... Uh, uh, so do you feel that humans could live their whole life without leadership considering the collectives that we need at points in time? So, I mean, you could go all the way back to... Uh, bare basics in nature and maybe you could make an argument but let's say in today's world where we share so much resource could we share that resource like we do today without leadership uh, yeah. in a peaceful manner in which we do yeah i think i get caught up and i maybe conflate leadership with um giving someone power like unquestionable power like I think if you had leadership but you had the mechanism to um, contradict that or to question it, then potentially it's all right. But it really, 
whenever you have uh, later, you're you're really uh, you have you're relying on them, and you can't always trust that what they're doing is going to be in benefit of the collective. So, like, I guess it really depends who the leader is. I think. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of moving parts here in this question. I think that if you had a perfect system where everyone had the relevant information for whatever their station is, then leadership you could prob- is probably better because they can oversee things. They can look at the grander picture, whereas someone on, on the low level can focus more on what they're doing. I guess that that's 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 the important part. Then, what is your job, and how much focus can you put on it? If everyone has to do everything, then you won't be able to do it as much as depth as if you have someone who's just focused on screwing in bolts on a pipe or something like that. Like in that case, having a leader, they can just focus on, okay, where is everyone moving or whatever, whatever is best for to, to whatever is best from their level of perspective in order to achieve the goal. Yeah. So your question, basically you're kind of questioning when I ask about whether we have a leader or not, the quality of the leader is the, the thing that determines, in your mind, is the, the flipping switch, which in my mind, I wouldn't, uh, I'm trying to remove the quality of the leader and just think in a pure sense. So, like, when it first comes in my mind, I think about um, how uh, nature and think about herd animals, and I think that we are very common to herd animals. animals. And with herd animals, uh, when there is a collective, there is... A leader now that leader might change, but birds are an interesting one where they basically um, the leadership changes as they fly in different directions. And so one per one bird might be a leader for a second and make a decision that everyone follows because they're in the best position to make that decision at that point in time. Maybe they see a threat or something, then all the birds follow, and then vice versa. Um, a- another leader might quickly switch because they see something dangerous, and all the birds naturally go with it. So in my mind, not thinking about the quality of the leader but thinking about humans as a species, I kind of put them in the category of a herd, a herding animal. And in my mind that means that I think naturally we are meant to to sort of gravitate towards leadership. Now, if you put it in the modern day, there's a lot of problems about how we actually get to leaders. But I kind of wanted to remove that to the side and just think about it from the point of view is do you think – Given given what I'm saying there, do you feel that humans is is there an inherent kind of um, characteristic where we look for leadership, or we are best where a species best suited to have that leadership? I think I like I was misunderstanding what you meant by leader before, and that's why when I said that I feel like I'm conflating what leadership and and seeking power, or whatever I can't remember exactly what I said. But from what you just said, it sounds like you mean that like in whatever structure you've set up to achieve your objective as a collective, would it benefit at times to have someone leading? And yes, it, it would like, like you said, if it can, sh- it, it really is just, okay, what is your, what are you contributing to the collective, to the objective that we're trying to achieve? And if that, what you're contributing is to lead the other people, then yes. Like if that is what is most fit, it's just, it's just evolution. Then it's just, what is the optimum solution here? 
It's like if the optimum solution is to that someone direct the other people and that's what you're calling a leader, then yes, it is beneficial to have that as part of, uh, as part of the way you function. Yeah, so my, my point of view is the someone that leads is basically helping a group of people guide them to their common goal. Um, so whoever is responsible for that and the way in which we elect leaders and all the rest of it is a, is a completely different conversation. But from a fundamental point of view, um, it, it, it seems like if there's a common goal, then there is a benefit from a human point of view that we, we have leadership. So thinking about like... Um, uh, maybe more predatory animals. I don't know. Maybe a great white shark. In their in their natural characteristic traits, it, it might not suit them to actually be a leader. Uh, to have to 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 be a herd and to have lead uh, leadership roles because they're sort of king of the predatory. Uh, uh, what do they call it? King of the animal kingdom in the in the water. So therefore, there's really no value for them to see. They can find their own meal. They're not uh, under attack. They don't need to defend necessarily. So they can sort of be a solo creature. That's where it comes back to objectives to me. It's like, what are you trying to achieve then? Is is the goal uh, as the collective to survive? Then yes, maybe. If you, even if you are the apex predator, maybe it is better than to have a leader and to have a group. Like when you said from a human point of view, that's why I'm like, well, in order to determine that, we have to say, is it that we're trying to achieve something collectively or is it that we're just trying to achieve something individually? And then like you said, if there's something bigger, like a resource that requires many humans to manage it, well, then that's just a different objective it's like okay we want to all get the best out of this at that point it, it doesn't matter if you're human doesn't matter what species you are the best way to do it may involve having a leader and that's perfectly fine like i'm not ruling it out i'm not saying that having leadership is bad i'm just saying if it is if it suits the situation yes that's perfectly fine yeah so in a hu- in in uh the species of being a human if we would you consider that we're a, a more of a herding kind of animal than a than like a, a solo predatory kind of animal? Well, we're definitely social animals and that's how we survive as groups. If you know, if we were individuals, we're not the apex predators as individuals. So yeah, I think we are social herding as you're putting it. So if you think about the, the common, forget about what all the little common goals are. If you think about the common goal of, of uh, surviving, then for our species, would it, would it uh, having a leader be a common way of actually um, uh, achieving that goal better as in uh, so basically if we think about surviving are we better to survive in, in a herd than in isolation in a herd or with a leader okay well I was going to go there next because basically I'm, I'm separating out first do we agree on that uh, we, we survive better in a, in a herd than in isolation Again, depending on your environment, but for the majority of the circumstances, yes. So if we're in a herd, how does that herd achieve a common goal if, there's, if there wasn't a leadership, if there wasn't leadership? Um, each individual... Uh, I go back to swarm behaviour. There is no leadership in that. It's just each individual is acting based on their own... Uh, interpretation of the environment their, their own their own way they want to act 
and what happens is that that is actually beneficial to each other. So without intentionally trying to trying to direct towards something, just the way that we act actually benefits benefits ourselves and others around us. And I think that humans are kind of like that. That but again, depending on environment, if if we're if we're in an environment where no, I wouldn't even go there. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so maybe, maybe, so in some cases, it feels like at the moment that you don't have a really clear answer, but basically, in some cases, it's valuable for humans to have a leader, and sometimes it's not. Yeah. Would that be fair to say? I'd say that's fair. Okay. So then, in those circumstances uh, where you have a leader, what is the cost of having a leader? Both to the leader, but also to the group. What is the cost of having? I'm going to need you to elaborate on that a bit. So, uh, so in circumstances, it seems like in some circumstances you say a leadership is valuable. In other circumstances, it's it's not valuable. So, maybe let's let's say if I get nominated as a leader somehow, what is the cost to me being a leader? What does it cost me? So, for instance, would I have to sacrifice something? I mean, every decision we make is a sacrifice of an infinite number of other possibilities. So, yeah, you'll always be sacrificing something, but what you gain from that, maybe the uh, admiration of others, maybe this sense of achievement if you are capable of leading to towards whatever goal you're doing like there's always a cost for anything we do so i don't see it as a negative or a positive that there's a cost no no what not, that cost would be it's not about whether it's negative or positive it's just thinking through what the cost about being a leader would actually be so you know um you sort of say every decision's a sacrifice of course there's always a sacrifice but in the context of a leadership what are they sacrificing as opposed to let's say they were just completely autonomous and didn't have to worry about other people's decisions. So as, as soon as I assume the role of leadership, I now am responsible for decisions that impact others, I'm assuming. Okay. No, no opinion? Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I agree. Yeah. So what? So thinking about being a leader... What is the cost of that 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 you take on, as opposed to if you weren't the leader, like you'd just normally live? Well, like you just said, there's that uh, responsibility for others. Um, I don't know. It's really it's really difficult to think. To me, it it really is context dependent on what the cost would be. All right. Well, do you, can you think of an example? Not particularly, no. <laughs> I'm not good with examples. Yeah. All right. So let's not think about the individual. Let's think about the group. What are they sacrificed by having a leader that they wouldn't necessarily need to sacrifice if they didn't? Well, autonomy would be one thing, considering that they act on behalf of whatever the leader says. Again, if there is no mechanism to question the leader to to give feedback, then they may be giving uh, their own agency up. Yeah, I think that's 
It'll just be basically their their agency. And then, well, it's going to depend on whatever the leader asks of them then. Because in the, from the information that you've given me, <laughs> from the uh, data available, that's the only thing that I can really say they've given up because they're allowing someone to dictate their actions now, depending... Like, like the leader could dictate their actions such that it is exactly the way they would have chosen to perform or to act. So the only thing then they've given up is just their ability to make a decision. In, in some respects, yeah, yeah. So they give up some, some self-autonomy in order for them to actually have a leader. So what's the, what would be the value for them, I guess? You if, you, if you're trading off, so if you trade off some autonomy, what do you get in return? Well, it depends if your leader's good and understands what uh, the strengths of each individual are, what they want, then you could be achieving something greater than you could possibly achieve on your own. Okay, so let's go, let's go with that. So basically, you feel that the, uh, you've got a good leader. Let's go with a good leader because it feels like that is very much a flipping switch in, in your mind is like, hang on, if I have a bad leader, then this could all fall over. So um, uh, it makes it very difficult for me to answer the question because it's dependent on the leader. So let me make that a bit more static, I guess. Let's say we have a good leader and we agree upon the common goal. So as an individual, I sacrifice autonomy and the value I gain is that I can reach a better part of my – I can reach a – a more elevated state for myself, is it? The benefit would be that you have more resources working together in a effective manner and so you can more effectively achieve the goal. You're achieving whatever that goal is by putting in less effort because you're working as a group to achieve it and that group is being managed in such a way that each individual is put in, having to do less work to achieve whatever the goal is. And so there's that. And then there may also be that the goal just isn't achievable as an individual as well. Yeah, so if done correctly, there's a synergy. Is kind of what you're just describing is that each individual now can actually achieve a, as a collective a greater state than the sum of all its parts kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, what does – okay, so now that I'm actually a good leader, let's say I'm a, I'm a good leader that has been given that role – so I have to sacrifice, uh, what was the thing that you suggested that a good leader would sacrifice? Did I suggest that they were sacrificing something? I don't remember if I suggested they were they were sacrificing anything, but from, I don't know if I really see it as a sacrifice. It, you can think that, okay, as a leader now, it's your uh, job to to understand the the members of the collective, to understand the problem itself, to understand how they all best fit and work together. And so in that, you're, you're using your time to to achieve that. But like I said, if, it's, if you see that as a sacrifice, it's purely dependent on who the leader is. Like to some, that might be, oh, you know, I, I like problems. I like solving problems. So to me, you give me a puzzle. I'm like, oh, I want to solve that. But to someone else, that could be like, oh, that's just a waste of time. I don't want to be doing that. So again, as long as you've got a good leader and I guess part of being a good leader is that you actually want to do it and you're motivated to solve that puzzle. So 
if 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 you're a leader who who isn't actually interested or motivated by what they're trying to achieve, then you are sacrificing your time. You're giving up, yeah, you, any an ability to choose or do something else that you want to do. But I think if you are a good leader, and this is purely like my speculation here, that if you are a good leader, you would be motivated by solving that problem. So it wouldn't be a sacrifice to you. It would just be, it would be a thrill to you. So it would always feel like a thrill or a benefit. There wouldn't ever be a period of where you feel like there's a decision I'm going to make that I'll have to sacrifice something key for the greater good. Well, there could be, but how does that differ from any other moment in our life? Oh, because as an individual, it's self it's sacrificing something that's only going to impact you maybe. Yeah, okay, you're saying for the... Sorry, I didn't catch that last bit where you said for the greater good. Yeah, for the, for, the greater, for the greater good. For the greater good. So there's like a clear case example of, you know, the common sort of textbook is that you've got two tracks. One track has, what is it, I think 10 people. One track has one. The trolley problem. Yeah, yeah. So who, who are you going to... Who, who are you going to... Uh, what's the decision you're going to make as a leader and what is the, the cost to that decision to you yeah, as well, an individual? Just there you're assuming that, that there's this specific case where you have to make a choice between two decisions where no matter which choice you make, it's going to affect a group of people or whatever in your collective and it's going to be bad for them. I mean, you didn't say that. <laughs> Sorry? So no, no, no. You were it's just saying example. in general. Yeah, I know, it's but the that's example. the thing. I can't... I can't if you want to say specific examples like that, like there's a million of them, that's fine. And I'm happy of to course. do that. That's fun. But when you say in general, as a leader, what are you sacrificing? Well, it really depends then on whatever the circumstances are. Well, maybe, maybe making it too general. So what are the things that you would sacrifice in certain situations? So I'm trying, I guess I give examples like that to see where the boundary lies. Cause a lot of these questions, you can't generalize it. Like how would you generalize the role of a leader? It's really, it can be quite difficult because that's what I think is, is happening. You're trying to generalise it so it means that you're in a situation where you can't really answer it um, because you're trying to generalise it to the, to, the, to the highest level, I guess. But if you break it down and think about all the decisions a leader, the, the scope or the spectrum that those different things that people, people have got to go through, um, that's why I gave that example. So I wasn't necessarily looking for like a generalised answer. But thinking through those things, what is it that the things that you would would have to sacrifice, or you would it would cost you to be a leader, and then what are those things? I guess would would value. Um, you don't have to cover them all, of course, but it's just gauging a, a bit of a discussion about what it actually means to to probably be a leader and the value and the cost associated to leadership. Because in my mind, you know, there's never. I think this is always we all humans like binary answers. We like it's either yes or it's no, and a lot of the time it's actually in a very grey spectrum. And I guess leadership is that grey spectrum, so it's very hard to answer it in that kind of yes or no state, that sort of black and white state. So, therefore, there's a spectrum there. So navigating that spectrum and thinking about what it actually means to to be a leader, what does it cost the leader, what value it is to them, but then also for a society, what is it cost that society to have a leader like you said they they give up autonomy but then what's the value they get to maybe share resource in a more peaceful manner um so i guess you know you can imagine situations where there's a tyrant that that takes over and if there's no leader to confront a tyrant then the tyrant could maybe be physically powerful enough to to take ownership of things that uh 
that they may not necessarily need to take on uh, that they should shouldn't necessarily have ownership of because it comes at a cost of everyone else. So I guess I'm trying to walk through those kind of different things that there isn't really, I guess, a clear answer, but it's more about the different uh, situations or the different ways in which it, that spectrum can be sort of seen, I guess. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. There is, there is like, you can't exist in the abstract we have to become physical and practical at some point in time and so i guess you're more focused on okay if what what is it that is likely to to be a cost what is it that is likely to be a sacrifice what is it that's likely to be a benefit if we if we have this structure of leadership yeah i guess yeah so what i guess it's by this kind of theme topic or the the initial questions was that in this day and age i think we have a lot of problems with leadership and i think it's not even just down to our political system i think it's down to both the combination of our political system and our economic system and the combination of twos caused i think a very confusing moment in history in my mind and so it kind of made me think about you know do we need leaders and in my mind yeah i think that in general we we do need leadership um, so then it's born the question, okay, what does it come at a cost? And I think there was something um, maybe you said on a podcast or just in a general discussion between ourselves is that people don't really think about the cost. And, it, and it, in my mind, that's, that's quite true because um, most people think about can I afford it now and will it benefit me now? And it's like, yes, but that's the only cost trade-off they do. There's no it, – it's, it's almost a monetary cost trade-off and the deeper uh, – questions of what it costs you is not necessarily explored to the le- to the level or the depth they could be and so it was kind of interesting to me to think about yeah what is you know if if we consider that leadership's important important points in time for us to to uh, be at an optimal and, and survive the best then what does it actually cost people um, to have a leader and what does it cost the leader and where does the value lie and then that way i think there might not be a generalised answer, but gauging a bit of a boundary of where that sits, uh, um, I guess, helps us think about future leaders in my, in my mind. Because uh, you can't avoid that question. You can't if, if you sort of see leadership as beneficial at points in time, you can't avoid the question. And I don't know if it can be answered in a black and white manner, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So what then comes to mind for you when you think about, okay, there's a cost to this, having this structure. What are those costs that, that come to your mind? Yeah, so some of the costs, I mean, you mentioned some of those, which is sacrifice to yourself or that, that um, you know, losing self-autonomy. But complexity is another one that I think is um, an interesting one. So in my mind, having worked at smaller or larger organisations, I find that as, the, the, as an organisation increases in size, it also increases in complexity. And I kind of wonder at sometimes at where the value trade-off is. So as you increase complexity... You then compartmentalise sometimes the way in which an organisation does it is compartmentalise the way it manages it and it kind of breaks down the overarching goal that everyone's trying to achieve. Um, But in doing so, they're able to manage their silos to get the outcomes they need as well. So it's quite a messy situation. So I can think of different costs in which people... people, I mean, another cost could be that if you pick the wrong leader, you're in in a world of pain. 
you're you can actually derail a whole culture because of having the wrong leader as we've seen in history but having the right leader can actually pull a culture out of uh, maybe depression or or poverty not poverty in an, in a monetary sense but poverty in in uh, you know your state of living and all the rest of it too so you know picking the right leader in my mind as a, as a public that that's a big cost um, and so I don't think we see that cost like most people don't spend much time actually thinking about the leader in which gets elected probably for a few reasons one they don't feel like they can make a difference um, uh, two they don't uh, seem to have the time or prioritise the fact of that leader making decisions on their behalf and the cost of actually having that person enrol. Um, so to me, it's like almost that it's de facto that we have a leader and this is the process that we, we do a leadership and, and it's not necessarily challenge, challenged as much as it, it probably should be. Um, yeah, so I don't know. There, there's a lot in my mind that you could sort of, you could sort of pull out. Yeah. So complexity was one of the uh, one of the things that you said. Was that is that a um, is that a bad thing or just that it, it makes it more difficult or something? I think complexity is always a cost, but it depends what value you gain from that. So, in my mind, the greater the complexity, the more energy it takes to interact, understand, or whatever. But there might be rationale to the complexity. So it might be that you need this complexity to achieve the outcome. Um, so therefore, the cost is more energy, but you would hope that the value will be a greater gain if you look at the energy versus, you know, the outcome or, or whatever you're doing there. So so yeah, you're, you're talking more specifically about complexity that is managed, that is actually, this is what we're trying to achieve. Whereas... When I think complexity, I just think it, it can also be an emergent phenomenon as well that everyone's acting basically. But if you s zoom out and you take a look at it, it you see some complex behavior. Whereas you're saying, no, this is we we are setting the group up in such a way we are intentionally. It's intentionally complex. Is what I'm trying to say. So someone is directing that instead of it just letting that happen. Ah, uh, no, I'd say both statements are true. So the reason I say both statements are true is in some situations, yes, there's um, complexity added on purpose in order to maybe get a beneficial outcome. We know if we go through this complex state, we get the value at the other end. Um, but in other ways, I think it's, it, it is emergent. So maybe one way in the modern way in the modern world that could be is uh, roads or, or transportation. So that's kind of emergent uh, because the as people as the population grows and as the technology advances that that evolution sort of just spawns that complexity of people wanting to get from a to b and so therefore that's not something that someone actually sat down and decided to do it's just the complexity of increasing population and the ability to travel for greater distance and so you know that's a really good example of where leadership is 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 important i believe so you know if we want to share common spaces such as we do when we travel then there probably needs to be some some lead, uh, leadership or management roles for that to occur uh i get it's at, at its optimum we could do it individually but 
I can imagine the outcomes, people crashing into, you know, like it'd be very, uh, we could do it, but the value probably, the outcome would be probably lower. Um, yeah, Rhodes is a good example of that. Then you may not have started out intentionally doing it like this, but, you know, because you're focusing on one area and then you add another area, all of a sudden it's becoming more and more complex. And then I think the way, yeah, it just becomes a game of scales. And I was going to say something, but I forgot, I forgot what it was. Something about, ah, oh, I guess the reason it's difficult for me to talk about is it a good or a bad thing is because when I think about leadership, it's, it's, it's not, when you go to solve a problem, right? You can, you can come at it with, okay, I'm going to use a hammer. I'm going to use a screwdriver. I'm going to use a drill, whatever. And then you're fitting that problem to suit whatever tools you've got at hand. Whereas for me, I'm looking at the problem saying, okay, what is the best tool for this? And so, okay, maybe it is better to have someone leading a group in this situation where maybe it is, uh, rather it's better to have each individual, whatever the problem is, I'm not discounting any of the possibility, possible, um, solutions and so that's why when you ask me specifically is it good or bad to have a leader i'm like well i'm not viewing it from let's start with a leader and then figure out what the problem is i'm viewing it from okay here's a problem is it is it good or bad to have a leader and then that leads to its own problems like you said if you get a bad leader that could bring it down like take us down a dark path and a destructive path and then that's something you have to factor in when you're thinking about okay should there be a leader here because if there is and that leader ends up being corrupt ends up being bad how much damage can they actually do like we, we are we are assuming that by having a collective and having someone orchestrate that collective we're able to achieve something greater than any individual is but is what they can achieve if pointed in the wrong direction actually a lot worse for us so then you got like a risk reward analysis going on so yeah that's i'm just trying to trying to describe why it's so difficult for me to give you a straight answer with these things is because i'm generally looking at it from okay what's the problem first and then what are the compromises along the way so all that you're saying that like is it good or bad for a leader what's the cost in that like i agree with you but it's just i'm not approaching it from that perspective so i don't have examples in mind of why it would be good or bad yeah, so if I said somewhere along the line, if I said it, whether if I proposed the question to you that whether a leader is good and bad, um, it's actually not my intention. It was not from the beginning of the conversation to me. It was not about whether a good a leader is good or bad. It was about whether humans inherently, um, as a collective, generally have a leader, and if that is the case, then what is the cost? and value to having leadership and so to me having that discussion allows you to like you said is basically i see the same kind of thing and that's why the spectrum is really important to me because you know when you have binary decisions you sort of have that good and bad mindset um, which i don't think is valuable uh, a mindset at all so to me going through that discussion allows us to sort of go okay the tool is fitted here and when we use the tool, these are the costs. You know, if you use, let's say I use a screwdriver and a, and a, and a drill, right, to, to screw screws in. What's the, what's the cost and value of either? Well, the cost of the screwdriver is it's going to take me long because I have to use my own energy in order to screw the screw in. But I don't use electricity to screw it in. So maybe I'm saving some resource somewhere else. Whereas a screw, a, a, a drill... It's much better for me. I can actually screw it in quickly. I don't have to use my own energy, but I have to then use resource to gain that energy. So leadership in my mind was this kind of discussion was pivoted around that 
kind of concept is that if you believe that, uh, yeah, that there are pivotal points for humans to have leadership, if that's true, then what when when you do need leadership, what are the kind of costs and the and the value to that? And I think that some of those started to come through. So, like you said, like picking a bad leader is a really good one um, because yeah, it could cost everyone. So it's there's a there's a lot of trust and and faith and actual sort of social connection that actually happens when you when you choose a leader. Um, and when you choose, in my mind, we've got to a point where we're picking leaders that we have no connection to. That's a, that's a big problem in my mind. So if I think back evolutionary, when you had a leader of a tribe, there's, a say, 150 people in, I think it's much more tangible. The leader can connect to the people in which it represents and the people which are being represented can have a direct, somewhat of a direct connection with the leader. And I think that's important because in order to make decisions for others, we need to have empathy about. And if you need empathy, you need to understand other people's perspectives. And so as we scale that up to where we are today, that the cost of, of scaling it up comes at that, that direct connection. So, you know, we're never going to see, me and you won't be able to ever talk to our, our, our governmental leaders, I guess, maybe to our, to our local leaders. Um, but even then, it's, it's kind of, it feels because of scale, it's somewhat disconnected. Um, yeah. I guess at that point, it's then you would start to question, well, is this leadership necessary or is it beneficial? Kind of, well, it kind of is if we want to have airports and we want to have roads and we want to have power that gets distributed and, and sort of from those things it's very difficult to think it's in my mind i don't actually have a, a good answer but i can sort of discuss through the trade-offs and discuss through the cost and values in my mind um because yeah i think it, again like as we scale that out if we want to travel to other countries we probably need some standards about how we all fly and you know and if we have standards about how we all fly then we need to negotiate and come at, to a collective and in that collective you need someone that makes the ultimate decision and you can't it's kind of like every time i think about those there's situations that you can't escape where leadership is um uh, scaled up in, in in our current current way in which we live yeah okay just so that i like one of the qualities that i see bad in the leader is to dodge the question that someone asks you just so to make sure that i actually do cover what you initially asked because i think i may have gotten off on the tangent it was what was um is it leadership inherent in human beings is that the first question you wanted answered uh what i guess yeah to, to it can be either be inherent or are humans uh suited to leaders in, in in collective when we're a collective i would say yes i mean just look out throughout history is it inherent to human beings or i don't think we were intentionally trying to do something like it just happened. So yes, I do think it is inherent. What are the costs of having uh, a leader? I think that was your second main question you wanted. Yeah, just thinking through the cost of not only being a leader, but the people that um, adhere to leadership, I guess, as well. So it's kind of looking at it from both sides. To me, the cost or the main, I think there's many costs, but I think the main cost for any individual, like I said, is just giving up that agency and uh, trusting in someone else. The main cost as a leader... Again, if, if it's – that one's a lot more difficult for me to answer. And I do think 
you you are giving up your time and your your see but then even if you're part of it <laughs> i can't go down that just road. split oh, the yeah. cost and value so it's kind of like when you answer that question you say the co- the value outweighs the cost but you're not just thinking about them in separation so like just think about the cost of it without thinking about what the value they gain so like you started to do it which is that Obviously, uh, I forget how you framed it, but that increased responsibility. You, you're now responsible for other people for decisions that impact other people. So whether that you find that valuable, it's still a cost. It's an increased cost for you. you you're still going to exert more, maybe more energy than if you were looking after yourself. Well, that's what I mean. That's there is there if you want to see it as a cost. That's the the problem with me. I. Some things that other people see as a cost, I'm like, that's actually a benefit to me. So having that added responsibility, you could see it as, okay, that's a cost. I'm giving up. I'm giving up something for that. But there's also the benefit of, okay, you're responsible for other people. You can affect other people's lives. You, uh, you, you are growing, you're developing skills, being responsible for other people. It's helping benefit you because you become responsible, more responsible in your own life, potentially, from doing that. So the only real cost then to me is that, okay, you've foregone, you've foregone other possibilities in life in order to help direct and lead this collective. But if you weren't the person doing that, you'd be part of the collective, so you'd be giving up other stuff. Like so it's, I don't see it as, as distinctly as you, as there's leader and then there's the rest. I see them both as the same thing, I guess. And they're, they're all giving up the same thing in order to be a collective and achieve whatever goal they're trying to achieve so you see the leaders giving up the same thing as the people that lead similarly yes i guess i did say that the collective apart from differentiated from the leader is giving up their agency and autonomy and so i guess the leader does have control over that but at the same time if the leader is actually trying to achieve the objective then they're also giving up their agency and autonomy because they're doing what's best for the collective not necessarily what they want to do so they're kind of doing the same thing it's just they're playing a different role in that circus <laughs> yeah yeah so do you see that them being more responsible for more people than themselves does that actually require more energy to put in do they get that energy back yeah it does well does it require more energy than just looking after themselves yes maybe most likely yes i'm gonna say i'll go with yes <laughs> by the way none of my answers are definitive they're just again we've talked about it before in the past everything is confidence so it's like it's never 100 percent. it's like 80 90 yes they're giving up more energy by looking after other people and then what was the second part of that i was saying uh do they get that back in terms of value no in the energy back do they get the energy back no so it's a cost well yes but every, again, do you pay attention to what the cost is or do you pay attention to what the value is because there's cost in everything we do? Yeah, yeah it's just separating the two. It's like figuring out the cost, figuring out the, the value. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just like a... You're not making a judgment call. You're just saying this is a cost. This is a... Yeah, value. I think that's what's happening. So don't worry about what the what the end sum is, I guess. Forget about the end sum. Just think about the cost that it, that it is and think about the, 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 the value that there is Mm. rather than thinking about the value when you try and answer the cost kind of thing. It's like separating them out and then, and then on a sheet you could 
there's probably not an ultimate answer, which is where you're stuck at, but at least you know, okay, if I do this, these are probably the cost, and if I do this, this is the value. So in certain circumstances, this is the trade-off that it's worth doing. In other circumstances, no, that trade-off's not worth doing. Kind of doing that cost analysis is probably what you need to do in order to make those decisions that aren't clear, I guess. And the only way you can do that is sort of separate the two out. You can't sort of... And then you start to make the decision based on how it's applied, I guess. Yeah, I think where I'm getting stuck, caught up is that at least the way I'm understanding is you're trying to separate what are the costs on their own, what are the values on their own, whereas to me there is no value in separating a cost without understanding what the benefit of that cost is. It's like a chicken and egg. Where do you start before if you don't separate them? So how do you do that trade-off like you're starting to do without separating them first? I've got to think on this one. I have to think because I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say. <laughs> More so than I'm misunderstanding what you're saying. But <laughs> yeah. how about we leave it there? Because yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy uh, this kind of back and forth, but I don't know how entertaining it is to watch us yeah, no. struggle and stumble. How about thank something? You, thank you for trying to navigate the questions <laughs> of leadership. <laughs> I think just a quick reflection. I think that just shows that it is a lot more complex and it kind of highlights what you were trying to say that we don't necessarily think of what the costs are to having such a structure, such a system. And so just even in us trying to stumble our way through it, we can see that, okay, maybe there is more to this. Even if we didn't answer what that more is, maybe there is more to this than uh, we give it credit for. Yeah, definitely, definitely. How about something a bit easier? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> a bit more uh, tangible, but still a little abstract. I want to talk about VR. Oh, okay. <laughs> so a bit of a... Uh, you want me to do work today? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I was thinking about that when I uh, put this one together. I'm like, oh, well, this should just be another day at the office room. So I guess a bit of background... Um, Without going into too much detail, we both worked in VR. That's actually kind of how we met, worked together. Uh, how much information should we give, like type of work we were doing maybe? Yeah, feel free. Um, not so, yeah, we, we, we were, we kind of build, how do you put it? Because you're still working it. So when someone asks you, what is it that uh, you guys do? Uh, we develop VR experiences, basically, generally for either education or um, training, or something along the, the lines of, of learning knowledge of, of, of some some point. I think that covers most of them, yeah. Yeah, so it's like virtual reality training simulators for various industries. That's kind of how I put it when people ask me. But we don't have to talk about that specifically, because I think me and you are both quite over-talking about it from that perspective. I want to talk about VR from... A lot of people have ideas about what we can do with the VR, where they see the benefits, where they see the value in it. And I want to talk about it as two people who have worked with it, who have been around it for a long time. So for myself, I think I was there for five years working within and around it. You, what this is your, how, how long have you been there now? Uh, 2014. So it's about seven years. Yeah. About seven years. And that's like, you didn't have much experience with VR before that, did you? I had no experience. No experience. That. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you've got about seven years. I got about four or five years, and we've also 
developed for it. So we've seen the limitations, the the potentials, like where we think that it could benefit things. So I guess just to start it off really broadly, what do you see as being the biggest value of VR? Uh, to me, the biggest value is exploring concepts um, and exploring our ideas. Um, so I often feel that it's, when I say that, there's, so I'm going to cover that spectrum again sort of thing. So when I say that, I think about everything from sharing empathy, so understanding how other people's live, other people live maybe in very different cultures to ours or, or understanding what it means to be, say, a victim of something or a perpetrator, just, just understanding, uh, you know, that, that power of empathy, I guess, understanding different people's perspectives. So that's one spectrum of exploring ideas and concepts all the way up to, in my mind, uh, I think about it this way now. I'm still kind of in my mind uh, about the, the trade-off, but in my mind, VR can help you go through things without actually having the physical objects within front of you, and that can be beneficial, particularly if you're building and advancing uh physical structures of any sort so let's say i was going to build a new rail system in the middle of uh, melbourne we already do simulations and all the rest of it i guess this is can be at a greater level so as vr becomes more mature the fidelity of the environments which we develop will will in my mind increase and so as the fidelity increase, our accuracy about the decisions we make will hopefully be better by going through different scenarios in VR and then figuring out the, the plan about how to actually um, develop something as complex as that, um, looking at all the impacting factors. So it's quite a, quite a spectrum, I guess, but yeah. Um, and then maybe in the middle ground is if you think about trying to get knowledge around, um, uh, say, space or very very abstract ideas, I think that's that's a really beneficial way of, of sharing abstract ideas, I guess. So, you know, l- looking about the Big Bang Theory is, is uh, I mean, one that I'm connected to, um, but I can see how valuable that is to, to walk through. For me, it's already just developing the experiences has been eye-opening for me and I can see, oh, when I do this activity in VR, it reinforces the very difficult and complex uh, sort of science that's been done to find out um, maybe key pieces of information or, or knowledge, I guess, as we know it today. Why do you think that VR would be a would help to teach, communicate abstract ideas? Um, because some of those can be, it's generally best suited when it's inaccessible. So let's say uh, the abstract idea is better. Let's say I want to learn how to play cricket. Well, it's pretty easy. I can go grab a ball. I can go to the oval. I can go play cricket and away I go. But now I want to teach you about the gravitational aspects that happen when we move an object through space because of the planets and and black holes and everything like that, I can't just go and take you for a trip through space for you to go and experience that. So therefore, I have to take the abstract knowledge I, I know based on 
the scientific method trying to prove certain aspects and then I have to condense that information and provide it to you in an abstract form for you to make a generalised connection to the knowledge which is actually happening in space now, I guess, that we know of. So, like, that gravitational pull, how do you, how do you teach someone in high school the f- sort of the concept of fabric of time and space and the gravitational pull of those objects? You can only give them an experience of what gravity is in on our planet and maybe you can put them in certain experiences where they get to float and all the rest of it. But it's very difficult to understand that um, without having some kind of uh, abstract aids like a medium, a visual medium or other mediums in which you can share that. So I think a really clever way someone had did this that I thought was very clever, a teacher used like a um, an elastic latex sort of table I guess I'm calling it a table, lack of a better word. So it was a big circular thing and he basically had a ring, like a trampoline, but it basically the, the elastic part of the trampoline was, was, um, was solid and then he used that to show like how planets orbit and how spa- the fabric was actually like space, the space in between and how it all sort of stretched and interacted with each other. I thought, wow, that, that was very clever to, to create that. But obviously it took a lot of... Um, well, in that case, it didn't take a lot of physical material, but you can imagine if you multiply that by, say, let's say 100,000 schools or something like that, that takes a lot of physical material and all the rest of it, which you can argue VR does as well, but if you buy a VR headset, I can build that in there, but then I can build something completely different in there. So it's only a one-off price for the headset and the and the material it's used, whereas if I have to keep building these different visual aids, I'm actually using raw material to actually convey that abstract idea. Cost benefit again. <laughs> Cost benefit. So, a lot of um, virtual reality applications currently, specific, specifically like video games and stuff, are an attempt are attempting to recreate physical feelings. Like for example, we don't really have it yet, but being able to f- experience movement again without actually moving, or at least in a in a much smaller like instead of running. 100 kilometers you just run a meter or something and give you that sense that same similar feeling so the the way i see it is they're trying to recreate what already exists and what we can already do in uh, our physical reality this is kind of a leading question but do you then think from what you've already said that where we where virtual reality actually benefits us is to be able to do things that we can't do in physical reality and then from that, do you think there is value in actually trying to recreate physical or there is anywhere in, what what is the like ratio of value between trying to recreate something physical versus exploring things that we can't do in our physical reality? Okay, so I'll walk back first because I think there was two questions. There was a trade-off between two aspects but, and then there was, so say the first question again. I think you first ask. I uh, guess the first question is, do you think it's it's valuable to recreate things in it, our reality? Like you were saying, you can go out and play cricket. Do you think it's valuable to recreate that in virtual reality and try and give us a similar feeling? I guess we'll just start there. Uh, not. I guess it, that's a question on accessibility. So it depends on how accessible that is. So if I think about equity from the point of view that we should have at least equal opportunity, 
and if accessibility is quite low for a particular demographic but then the accessibility is high for another demographic then it kind of makes sense if you can't get it to them then it makes sense to fill that void yes but in general in australia do a cricket simulator that's really just for entertainment in my mind there's i don't i couldn't imagine scenarios where there's a practical benefit to that maybe i'm missing some but but then on a flip side if i was say about race car driving there's probably is a practical benefit to that because you don't crash a car so you know you go i think about like people that practice before racing to 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 know the track well kind of makes a bit more sense if you can get pretty close to the real thing in a simulator then it's a again cost trade-off risk versus reward why would you risk the car for race day and all the effort it takes to repair it by someone practicing and having the slight risk of crashing when you can have a simulator that isn't going to crash maybe it crashes from bugs but you know um, it, it, it doesn't crash so yeah so i think the the um yeah it depends on well, now I'm saying accessibility, but it also depends on on risk of loss of that resource as well. So to me, VR can help save resources if we're caref- if we're clever about it. Very good answer. <laughs> Thank you. That is a very good answer. That uh, yeah, th- when we're re- trying to recreate reality, it is really an accessibility thing. It's like if you can do it in physical world, well, it's probably better to do that than to try and recreate it. Yeah, I think there's a. Uh, I'm going to butcher who did this, but there's a there's a trying like a hierarchy that is uh, very famous, and basically it shows like you know reading the level of uh, understanding based on the way in which it was conveyed. So like you yeah, sort of have reading at the bottom, I think, and then you know video pictures, video, whatever. And as you get to the top, the two top ones are simulation followed by reality. So that makes complete sense to me. So if you can't get to reality, then the next one down is simulation. And I think VR sits at the top of the fidelity for simulation in that you can experience, the medium is becoming to a point where we can start to experience it with more sensory engagement than we did in the past. That's a really, that's interesting, that hierarchy that idea that yeah, it's simulation and then reality. So if you can't achieve it through reality, then it's better to try and do it through simulation. Do you think though that some people that it because it is uh, accessible and readily available, maybe not for everyone at the moment, but it, it will be. I'm sure like cell phones, you know, they were originally you, you were if you had a cell phone, you're like oh you got money. But now everyone has a cell phone. I think you can go to like the poorest countries in the world, and even they have cell phones. So do you think? when VR is that uh, accessible to everyone that perhaps the temptation to just simulate something that they could do in reality will, will like they're less likely to do something that they could fairly easily with less energy do in reality. But because the simulation is so accessible, so easy, so low energy, do you think it's going to pull people towards choosing the simulation over reality? Yeah, it's a good one to pull out. Uh, so, uh, Yes, 100%, 1,000%. That's what we're seeing with social interaction. We're seeing social interaction becoming, I think, more digital than it was physical. In the past, it probably had been more physical. 
And I think it's about convenience. People are finding to interact with people is more convenient on their phone and their their computer than actually to drive over there and visit. And so to me, we just really don't understand the cost to doing that yet. I think we're slow maybe we're slowly starting to understand that. But yes, definitely as the technology becomes more accessible and the effort required to undertake a simulation is significantly lower than doing it in reality, there will always be a temptation by people to to levitate towards the simulation. Yes. That's funny. In my mind, I'm like, you could use, and this goes back to what you were kind of saying, the other kind of route for VR is to, to show things that are a bit less tangible. We could use that technology, that virtual reality technology, to help present to people why this is possibly damaging for you <laughs> selecting a simulation over reality showing how like our, our um ability to communicate has been degraded because we are it's so accessible through telecommunications now i don't know i just thought that was a, a fun thing <laughs> that, that is a bit of a quirky thing teach teach people the uh, damaging effects of vr and vr yeah so talking about like abstract things that we can do with vr so I mean, for me as well, I'm less interested in what you can do. You can simulate reality in VR, although that's kind of where I started. I mean, you know, as, as one of my projects for uni was to create a snowboarding simulator, which is doing what you were saying. And when you were saying accessibility, it took me back to that, that, okay, not everyone has access to a snow-covered mountain and it, it's actually quite limited. So if you can recreate that, if you can simulate that, that would be a benefit to people. So it started off that I wanted to to do that to create real experiences that people were accessible to people but now i'm more interested and i think you're on a similar way in, in okay how do we communicate to someone something that you were unable to communicate or that was very difficult to communicate through the mediums that we had available and one of them uh, as a demo that you, you showed me was um what it's like for blind people and i think it was like using colors like things would highlight in blue or something maybe you can explain it a bit more but to show you okay for a blind person, when they hear something, it would really light up this area of the image and we would see that everything else would be dark. And so it gave us a hopefully a greater appreciation for what it's like to, to be that. So, yeah, where do you see, what type of experiences do you see that would be beneficial in VR? Do you have any ideas and anything that you want to share? Like, I really want to see this done in VR. Yeah, so I think that, uh, yeah, that, that, that experience about the blind person was quite a clever one. So... I think the history was that it was developed by a famous, a son of a famous doctor, or philosopher, or some, something like that, who was also blind. And he had recordings about his blindings, uh, about going blind. So he wasn't born blind, he went blind throughout life for a period of time. And so he then revived those recordings in a VR experience and then mapped the audio to the visualisation in that, so as a noise was made, there would be sort of like a, an outline with lots of dots, I guess, blue dots, that kind of represented what kind of item that was as their imagination. So if they heard a car, it would sort of be a shape of a car. If they heard a person talk, talk to another, it would be a couple of people. So that one I think is very clever. That that falls in that empathetic realm. Um, to me, the main – it's funny. The main, main reason I'm not interested in trying to – I think I want to stay away from trying to replicate things in the real world. There's two probably main reasons. One is VR is a new tool, so I don't think we really know how to use it 
at all. The technology is not mature. It's in a period of discovery and exploration. It's not in a period of general consumer. I mean, it is in consumer grade, but I feel that it's still, there's a big gap um, in between what we actually do in VR and how we replicate the real world. There's a, a significant gap. So from that point of view, it makes sense to start with the abstract to learn how to use the technology. So uh, it's much better to spend your time trying to convey abstract information because A, it's it's hard to access currently and, and B, it seems like a good place to start. If you can't do something now, then uh, it's very difficult to communicate now, then the bar is quite low for you to then achieve a better outcome. So you can sort of say... Oh, well, uh, I think one of them was the midwifery one, which we did, uh, which is teaching about contractions. Before that, I was sort of like, I think it's something like this, the soft, medium and hard. And so to me, thinking about those things and trying to 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 convey some of those, uh, well, maybe that one's not abstract, but some of those abstract uh, ideas is, is a good starting point when it's not accessible. Um, yeah, so it's from those two points. It's uh, the that it seems like a good starting point for the technology to focus on that area when it's not mature because uh, it's, you know, the, the bar's quite low. And then it's also very valuable for people because there's nothing nothing else out there. Um, but as it, as it increases in fidelity, I think that, and, and we get better at using it, I do think there'll be a period of time where it, would, it will make more sense to do some more real things. Um, so, yeah. And then it's a question of accessibility, cost and risk. So like uh, coming back to before with the cricket one, um, it's kind of like how accessible is it to you? It doesn't really make sense um, to sort of set up cricket in VR if you've got an a, a got an oval in um, within distance to you sort of thing. So, yeah. So just to make sure I understood what you were saying there, since it's a new technology and we're still learning how to use it, you think it's probably best we avoid trying to recreate real things because we're still learning, you know, what what are the pitfalls, where's the good and bad of it, and to concentrate more on these empathetic, more on these abstract um, experiences. And then in the future, when we get better at understanding the technology and how to utilise it, that's when we can think, okay, how can we use this to replicate reality? Yeah, that would be my preference. Some people might flip that around. I could see an argument to say that, well, wouldn't it make sense to try and start with a baseline of reality? If you can mimic that, then it makes sense to then mimic abstract. Um, so I could possibly see an argument the other way around. Um, but for me, it makes more sense. There's more value in, in trying to use the tool now for abstract because of those two things. It's hard to, to gain abstract knowledge and the baseline's uh, lower. So it makes sense that from a social point of view, hopefully we elevate that knowledge um, and then as we elevate that knowledge, we'll actually learn things about the technology. But I am also aware that I'm not replicating the real world, so I don't have a comparison that I can do. It's a bit more difficult to do the, the comparison, so it's hard to – it might be more difficult from that point of view. We'll say that last part again. What, what were we trying to uh, – So I can imagine the argument of someone saying, well, if you wanted to mature the technology the best way you want to – why wouldn't you mimic it after reality? Because then you have a direct comparison and you can calculate the error. Yeah, okay. I guess that is if your end goal is always is going to be to replicate reality. Like once you understand the technology, 
What well, I'm it's tra- priority order, I guess, too. So I'm sort of saying they might prefer to do that first and then go, once we learn about the technology, then we'll approach abstract ideas because they're much dif- more, they might be more difficult in, in their mind. So they might think that starting with reality first is an easier uh, way to, to mature the technology than to start with abstract. But yeah, I'm just, I guess I'm sort of being devil advocate to myself, which is, yeah, what happens in my head. I do, yeah, I do the same thing. I did it. 30 minutes ago. Um, yeah, I think that I, I feel that's limiting when trying to replicate reality because, I mean, as we've both experienced that it was only, th- I mean, but you do need to start somewhere so that, yes, you're. I think you're right. It, it was fine to start and say, okay, well, we've got this new technology. We don't quite know what it's going to do. We've got an example of something that we'd like it to do. Let's try and do that. But I think one of the major problems with it, with the technology, with um, the way the experiences that are built, the, um, at least currently, is that we've gotten too bogged down and we're trying to replicate or do something that uh, do something that exists existed already instead of looking at okay, what else can we do with the technology? It kind of I don't know why this image came to my mind, but it was kind of like when computer games jumped from 2d graphics to 3d graphics and all of a sudden you had this third dimension and people didn't quite know how to control the player how to move the camera like all this stuff so they were trying to recreate what they were doing in 2d say with like a side scrolling video game and they would just do it in 3d where everything was 3d modeled but the camera would still be fixed in the same position with the same movement so you should have just done it in 2d i feel like that's kind of uh, we're kind of going back and forth with that currently with vr in that in trying to recreate these real experiences, we're missing out on what the, the the technology could do. Instead of just looking at the technology and saying, "Okay, you show me what we can do, what we should do with you," just exploring it and then letting that say, oh, "Okay, show us where to go with it." I don't know. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. So I'm going to say something a bit more broader than that. Um, I I kind of agree with you there. And one of the things that I think. I would say the most difficult part to developing a VR experience currently is how you abstract the person's interaction with that experience um, from what they would normally perceive as the way to, to do it. So, when I mean, this is difficult when it becomes abstract knowledge because um, there might not be common ways in which they do it, but you think about the cricket or driving a car, people already come with a pre sort of pre-perceived notion of how that's actually done. Now, with VR technology, you can't achieve it. Like, it, it's very difficult to achieve the same fidelity as what you do uh, in simulation as you do in, in VR. So in that case, what you have to do is you have to create some abstractions. And that that is difficult. That interaction of abstraction is, is probably the most difficult part of any VR experience. How I... You know, I can't replicate what is actually occurring in real world or what people expect... So what's the next best thing that seems intuitive enough that it's not going to break the experience and the messaging I want, um, but they can still engage with the actual experience itself um, from an intuitive sense and gain the messaging and knowledge from that from that experience. So yeah, the uh, trying to abstract things in VR is the most difficult, and it's probably it, it's most difficult when you're trying to replicate real world because people come with pre sort of expectations i guess that's what excites me the most about vr to me i see it as okay you're trying to replicate a feeling without with a different form so like you said or maybe as an example 
how do you give someone the feeling of running 100 meters but with them staying in the same position and and to me that's really uh I, i get really excited by that because no matter what the task is you're looking for okay what is the important part of this what is the feeling what is the end product of what they're doing and then how do we transform that into this other medium and and highlight what what this medium can show and then i think if you without actually i think this is where if you can't do it in reality you you highlight what that should feel what you want that to feel like or what the important parts of the the experience of the activity are and then you present that in different mediums where they'll never they'll never give you the exact same feeling that you get in reality but each individual one is highlighting some other aspect of what you're doing in reality so if it's through virtual reality if it's through written work if it's through music whatever it is these are again just ways mediums for us to communicate in and each one can do a better job at highlighting a certain aspect of a feeling and so that's where I think VR is cool because it is a new medium for us to play with. And it, and if we can extract whatever the feeling is from the activity and then transpose it onto the VR medium, I think we'll, we'll get a better picture of what, I don't know, <laughs> what things are. Yeah, it's I mean, exactly right. I mean, uh, any good thing worth doing is, uh, it, you know, takes time or ta- is difficult, I guess. And so, yeah, of course, the ab- abstracting is the most difficult part, but you're right. It's also the most rewarding. You don't know how to do it. And the thing is, you actually don't know how to do it by yourself. So it's not like you can actually solve the problem yourself. You actually need to give it to other people. You need to expose yourself to failure. That's what I actually do like about it. I like the fact that you have to be confident enough that you go where you're at and go, I don't know, this, I, I can't replicate the. Uh, real world i have to create abstraction based on my creative thoughts this is the best way i can think of extracting it does it hold up and then you give it to many people and you kind of realize people see the world so differently from each other i mean that's what i do notice about the technology you give it to someone and it's it's funny it's the technology is rewarding watch people use it but i think for me it's like particularly in infancy now we're getting people that have used vr a bit but in its infancy it's almost so rewarding to see how someone's going to approach a new piece of technology conveying some information that's been difficult to understand or something like that um, in a completely new medium and just seeing how they interact with that and that really tells you whether you've struck like over a collective group of people that really tells you about did I abstract that well? Is there a better way to do it? And you can you have to go through that work and then go, ah, actually, what I found is people, a, a common problem that people did was this. Now I've got a new problem that I can try and overcome it. And you and you apply it and then you have to go back and test it again. So to me, it's that journey of um, having a difficult problem of trying to abstract it, coming up with creative ways to doing it and building it myself and then giving it to someone else to give me that feedback to go, okay, yeah, it wasn't as good as I thought, or no, that actually worked better. I'm going to try and apply that more. You know, getting that feedback loop from people is is really cool. Yeah. I like what you said there. I like that um, you look at it as a good way to see if we're kind of understanding things the same way because by being forced to abstract something, you're taking out of, you're, you're, you're picking out parts that you think are important and then you see if someone else agrees with you or not. And that, yeah, the it is something that you can only do by getting other people to experience it as well. 
which is kind of interesting to me because when I think of virtual reality, I think about isolation, but it's actually a tool also more to 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 connect us. Like you think of VR, you put a headset on, you by yourself. Yes, you can do certain applications where you're interacting with other people in this virtual space. But what 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 we're actually seeing is that by us all interacting with this this new medium we're getting a better understanding of oh, okay they see things different to me because they've reacted a different way to this than i would yeah from an entertaining point of view it's not dissimilar to i mean well we say it's entertainment but there's i think there's a lot of education in, in, in movies or books and all the rest of it and i guess it's it's somewhat similar in some senses from that in that i think vr is a tool where we might use it in isolation but it shouldn't be left as in you just take the experience and take it off. I think it's, you know, particularly in the education and learning context, it's it's going through experience and then that prompts discussion. And so from that discussion, you actually start to uh, get a consensus on idea and, and you're able to generalise it more or, or, or something that's quite abstract or at least get a common understanding between people. But if you don't have some kind of experience to connect with, then there's there can't really be a discussion because you don't really have anything to share. So I guess, yeah, in my mind, it would be uh, from the way in which we apply it through through training and through education, it would be a mistake to just think that someone's going to learn um, best by just taking that very experience. So to me, it's kind of got to be coupled with um, people having some discussion or someone sharing more of their experience, but at least now you have some kind of tangible connection to what they're talking about. I like that. Definitely think, uh, I think one of the best parts about VR is, is doing it around and with other people. <laughs> and it's always good to see their reactions to, to the various experiences that you throw them into. Is there anything else that you want to say about VR? Not really. I mean, just to accept that it is in a very clumsy state. And that kind of is what attracts me to it. It's kind of like there's so many things that um, it's in my mind, it's got so much potential, but it's also very, very clumsy and very, uh, there's a lot of work to be done. So uh, just think of, I guess, if anyone has VR experiences, think about, don't try and compare it to reality. Think about um, how it's advanced other technology and just, think about what it's actually providing you rather than what it's actually missing out on. Yeah. Although I was never really a big fan of it, I am. I do think there is a great potential there and I'm really intrigued to see where it goes into the, in the future. I don't know, maybe it'll sway me. Maybe I'll uh, like to use it in the future someday. <laughs> but okay, if you're happy to leave it there, let's get to my supplemental song suggestion, which doesn't really have much to do with... Uh, what we discussed i mean even i came in and i didn't really know which topic i was going to pick so i didn't do one specifically for any one topic this is just the song i like so <laughs> hopefully uh, everyone out there enjoys it as well the song is called here and it's by mayday and mers and then the quote i pick for today is we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time and that's by t.s elliott so thank you for joining us uh, for this discussion. Love to hear your thoughts about anything we talked about. As always, be well.